0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. G'day everyone, great to be here tonight and um, I'm, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. If I haven't met you, great to have you along with us tonight. And uh, happy Mother's Day if you're a mum, but for most of you, hopefully you treated your mum today, treated her well. You should treat your mum well every day, right? Not just Mother's Day, you know that. Um, Maybe you got her a gift. I got my mum a gift and I did leave it a little bit late. Um, So I went to Bunnings yesterday, Um, had to check the closing time of Bunnings because it was getting a bit late. Um, See if you can work out what the gift was. I went into the aisles, I got three items, I got fire starters, Mother's Day, hot beads uh, and flowers in a pot. I got to the the checkout and the lady said, oh, it's so lovely that you've got your mum a gift. And she assumed that it was the flowers in the pot, um, which it was. But I was trying to make a joke with her that actually it's the hot beads that I'm going to give my mum and the fire starters. Uh, but it was all for my mum because I cooked her lunch today and gave her the, the flowers and it was all good. But I want to talk to you about uh, learning lessons uh, tonight as we head into Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I reckon uh, mums are often good at helping us learn lessons. Uh, I don't know what your experience is with your mum. I know we've all got different experiences. Give, do give thanks if your experience of your mum has been good. Uh, if she's helped you, even pointed you to Jesus. What a, what a wonderful gift. Um, but how would you answer this question? What's the most valuable lesson your mum ever taught you? What'd you how would you answer that? What's the most valuable lesson your mum ever taught you? I want to I share what my mum taught me, one of the things. But before I do that, um, I put it out to church this week. Um, and I don't know how many responses you need scientifically to get a trend, right? It needs to be a fair few i got two responses. <laughs> um, so here's what they were. Um, the f- first person said, my mum taught me to think before I do. Think before you do. That's very helpful, isn't it? Uh, it saves you a lot of grief. Um, someone else said, my mum taught me always give people a second chance or even a third chance or a fourth chance, talking about grace and forgiveness. Yeah, it's a very Christian idea, isn't it? God has been incredibly merciful to me, so I should be merciful to other people. Here's what I reckon one of the things my mum taught me. Um, she didn't say it in this many words, but she basically was saying the best way to learn a lesson is through other people's failures. Uh, the best way to learn a lesson is through other people's failures. So um, I can remember going to the city with her, uh, and I was talking to her about it today over lunch, and she never gave me rules, don't do this, that I remember. But she showed me someone who'd gone down that path. And that was very powerful. Uh, so I remember going to the city as a, as a young boy with her and seeing this man half kind of naked, disorientated on the, on the footpath. And I must have said something to her. What? And she's like, well, that's alcohol. And that's what happens when you get addicted to alcohol. That's what's happened to him. She worked in a hospital. So she was used to seeing people dying of liver disease uh, because they're alcoholics or lung cancer because they they'd smoked all their lives or, you know, diabetes because of their diet. And it was just part of the way she thought, this is what will happen if you do this. And so she's constantly pointing that out to us. It's very, very powerful. Best way to learn, I want to say, is through failure. Even better, I mean, our failures are powerful, aren't they? When we make mistakes, hopefully that turns us to learn But you can learn from other people's failures. In fact, that's kind of really, really helpful, isn't it? You might escape a lot of pain as you see someone else make an error that you could avoid. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, my chemistry teacher did this. Uh, He wanted us to be involved in all these experiments, dangerous chemicals, all this kind of stuff. And rather than saying, don't do this, don't, I'm sure he did, but he actually said, if you do this wrongly, this is what will happen. Uh, and then he was a bit of a comedian. He used to say to us, uh, if you do this wrongly, this is what will happen. And then he'll point to his hand or his arm and he'll show us where it went wrong for him, where he failed. I reckon that the government's doing, to, uh, doing this kind of thing to us all the time. Um, so think about quit-smoking campaigns. Uh, they, used to, they used to say, quit, you know, why don't you quit smoking? It's not good enough, is it? They actually need to show you what happens if you just keep smoking it's very very powerful Uh, here's the person who's dying of cancer here's what it looks like Uh, they do it with speeding so i don't know whether you've noticed on the back of uh, police vehicles some of them there's these words uh do you want to be late or paralyzed and then it says choose wisely don't rush there's those two images think about someone who's paralyzed made a very poor decision, was speeding in the moment. Do you want to be like them? Choose wisely, don't rush. So here's the message, I reckon. Here's the message. Uh, You're going to be tempted to do X. Look what happens to people who do X. Do you want to end up like them? You've got a decision to make. Which way are you going to go? Now that takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 1 because Deuteronomy chapter 1 is a warning passage. Uh, We're starting, as Mel said, we're starting this new series in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And what we're going to do, we're going to learn from the dumb decisions of others in the Old Testament. That's what Moses is going to help us see. Uh, We're actually going to see the fears of God's people 3,500 years ago, uh, fears that tempted them to turn away from God, to actually... Uh, made them come under God's judgment rather than God's blessing and God through Moses even for us wants us to take the warning, make sure you don't go down that tragic path. So turn up to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 1, why don't I pray for us? Our great Heavenly Father help us now to focus uh, in this book that's unfamiliar to many of us, Uh, Lord we Thank you that you are a God who speaks uh, through all of the scripture. Uh, help us now to receive your word, to benefit from it. Help us to listen, to let, us, to let your word do its work in our hearts and minds. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So turn up, Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you're in Hebrews, you need to flick all the way back again. A um, few books into the front of the Bible there. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. Have a look at it with me. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. So a little bit of orientation. Have we got our map? There we are. Um, So the green area is the promised land. Uh, This is the land of Canaan. This is the land that is bountiful, is a rich resource. Uh, This is the land that God owns and God promised to his people hundreds of years earlier There's the land that you will prosper in. Uh, You might remember uh, 500 years earlier, about 2000 BC, go back to Abraham, go back to Genesis. Uh, What does God say to Abraham? I'm going to make you into a massive nation. You're going to be greatly blessed. I'm going to give you the land that is bountiful. That's where you're heading. So where are we now? Here we are in Deuteronomy, we're 1500 BC, so 500 years forward. Now Israel is that nation of hundreds of thousands of people. And what, what's happened? They've been rescued from Egypt. Uh, you'll see that on the, on the next... And here's the route they've taken. Um, so you can see Egypt on the left there. They've crossed the Red Sea, uh, down the bottom of that peninsula, Horeb, Mount Sinai, they've received the Ten Commandments, they've received the law, the here's how you live, now you are my saved people. And where are they now through quite a journey? Sorry, just go back one. Same map. Yeah, see that wiggly line? They've gone on quite a journey. They've ended up on the east side of the Promised Land. See what See where they are? They're poised right on the cusp of receiving something massively good from God. So there's the context of Deuteronomy. And what we're going to see over the weeks ahead is Moses speaking to God's people just before they head into the promised land. It's like Moses saying, here's what I want you to know from God before you take this great gift from him. And, and we're going to hear a very similar message to the message of the New Testament because remember, all of, the, all of the Bible is God's word, is one God, is one message. Uh, it's going to be the same message of God being powerful, Uh, God's saving, God's kindness and grace. And it's going to be the same message of here's how to live now that I've saved you. It's going to be the same warning about sin. And so this is an incredibly relevant book to us. It all points to Jesus. Uh, I can understand, I think Mel shared this earlier, that you look through Deuteronomy and you go, what what are we looking at here? Uh, It looks like legislation in Parliament, (laughs) in parts of it, uh, you think to yourself, we're not Israel. Uh, we're living in Wongong thousands of years later. So we're going to have to work a little bit harder. What, how does it apply to us through Jesus? But it is the same merciful, kind God, serious about sin, wanting good for us. Here's how to love him. Here's how to live as God's people uh, that we're going to see over the weeks ahead. Now, notice in chapter 1, heaps of place, places mentioned Uh, It's the tricky uh, Bible verse to read, so well done to Alex. Um, Lots of historical places. We're dealing with real history here, real places, not a fairy tale. But have a look down in verse 2, a curious verse. It says, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. And again, have a look at the map and you'll see where these places are. Um, So you can see the Horeb down the bottom, Mount Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments. Up north of that is Kadesh Barnea, and there's that journey, that road that takes 11 days. Um, Someone said to me, it's how long it would take to walk from here to Canberra. Maybe we'll Google that later, see if that's true. Um, But that's the kind of distance, don't Google it now. Uh, (laughs) why Why does God mention that to us? What's the relevance... verse 2, what is it about Kadesh Barnea, uh, what does it have in common, that place, with the place they're at now on the east side of the Jordan? See those two dots, what do they have in common? They're both on the cusp of the promised land, yeah? They're both almost there, And so what is Moses doing? They're up on the east side. Moses is saying, I just want to remind you that 40 years earlier, your uh, parents were down just before the promised land, just about to receive it. But here's the thing, they didn't take possession of it. They didn't enter and receive God's good gift. And what Moses is going to do in chapter 1 is going to say, I desperately don't want you to do the same. And it's a warning for us as well uh, to take God seriously. And we'll hear a bit more about that later. But Moses goes back 40 years. Here's what he wants to say. God is faithful. First point, God is faithful and powerful. That is, Moses is going to say, God can be trusted. He's done it before. He's powerful. Are you going to trust him and enter in? Have a look at verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb... You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Look down to verse eight. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore He would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the descendants after them. See, five hundred years later, God's promised to the descendants of Abraham by His power. He's rescued them from from Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea. And what's happening now, he's delivering on his promise. The land is there for you to take. And so what happens, they travel from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, there it is on the map again, and have a look down in verse 20. Then I said to you, you've reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See the Lord your God has given you the land, go up and take possession of it, as, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And so what do they do? They send spies up into the land. Uh, I think it is an act of faith, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to plan this. We're going to seek this out. And so the spies head up. That's the dotted line into the promised land. And what what do they find? They find uh, beautiful fruit, a bountiful land. Um, And what's the report? What's the upshot of of their tour up there? They come back. Look at verse 25. The report is... It is a good land that the Lord, our God, is giving us. What's the report? It's up until this point, it is good. Um, God is keeping his promise. What God has said is actually what it is. It is good. And you'd think they'd know that by now, wouldn't you? That God is powerful, God will keep his promises. That when God says something is good, it is good. Um, There's something really... Massively relevant for us at that point, isn't it? Do we trust when God says, this is the way it is, this is the truth, this is good, this is good for you, do we trust him or do we hedge our bets? Uh, The temptation is to to turn away, isn't it? The temptation is uh, to, to question whether God is actually good. And I reckon it's really helpful for us as Moses helps Israel lean on the promises of God, that they're good, that God is powerful, that God will do it. It's a great reminder to us to do the same, that when God says something is good, it is actually good. To know that God, the character of God, is infinitely kind and gracious. He wants what's best for us. Um, That we should never be suspicious of God. We should never doubt God. He always comes through. Um, that we should really kill sin in our lives that says God can't be trusted, that we should really stop listening to the, you know, the voice of Satan. When you hear the voice of Satan, it's the Genesis 3, the serpent speaking. Remember what the serpent said, did God really say? Is God really, What, what, what what was the serpent getting? Is God really good? Isn't he holding something back from you? Won't you be better off doing your own thing? God can't really be trusted. You'd be better off going your own way. What are the promises that we need to lean on? Have a look at these promises. We need to trust God, that God will fulfill his promises. I've written a few up here for you. Uh, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. I'm with you to the end of the age. We talk a lot about making disciples, God growing his church through us here at Salt. There's the promise, go and do it and I am with you to the very end of the age. Or Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Do you believe it? Don't know what what journey you're on at the moment, how you're going in life, what's confronting you. Listen to Hebrews 13. God says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Do you believe it? Maybe you're still working out whether you want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still, or you're falling to sin, you're unsure of your salvation. What is, what is Romans chapter 10? What's the promise? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the promise. Trust him. Or Romans chapter 8, Nothing is able to separate separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Promises of God. Now, trusting the promises of God, the good promises of God, is what Israel failed to do. So instead of being confident, instead of being courageous, they actually step back. Israel actually turns away from God. Have a look down in verse 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. Can you just pause there for a moment and see, it's an awful place to be when you don't trust God. When you when you step back in fear, when you retreat and hide as they have, what, a, what an awful, they're grumbling in their tents. And they say, verse 27, the Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Notice the people living in the land are big. What does that tell you? It's actually a good land. They've been feeding on this land, the fruits of the land. They're big, they're strong, they're fit. It's a prosperous place. But how do they interpret that? Instead of that fueling their faith, it actually fuels their fear, doesn't it? They actually retreat. Rather than stealing themselves to receive the gift of God, they, they fall back and retreat into their tents and complain. And Listen, listen to the, the self-talk, what they say to one another. Have you you noticed this when you're doubting God, the way you speak to yourself or the way you speak to others? You you speak lies. Listen to what they say. They say, God hates us. God hates us. How could they say that? God wants to destroy us. And notice what Moses said to him, verse 29. Moses pleads with him, doesn't he? Verse 29, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Verse 30, The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, and this beautiful phrase, as a father carries his son. What a what a beautiful picture. It's not the God who, he doesn't hate you. He's the God who's rescued you, who's nurtured you, who carried you. It's... It's that idea of the carried you on eagle's wings in other part of the Bible. Here the father carrying the son all the way you went until you reached that place. That's the God who loves them. But what have they done? They've tragically retreated. They've given way to fear. They've turned their backs on God. And I reckon there's another point for us to reflect. What are, the, what are the fears, what are the desires that tempt you to turn away from God? What are the desires, what are the fears that tempt you to turn away from God? There's a thousand different options, isn't there? It's all different for each of us. Uh, had a friend that really helpfully uh, helped me understand how does Satan tempt us. He he plays a tune to, to our ears that we, we like or that would tempt us. It's kind of unique to us. What is it? Well, let me share the... Uh, Results of my extensive poll again of two people. Um, One person said it can be negative experiences. I think it's suffering or discouragement in life that you can somehow think God doesn't love me anymore. God is not there. God doesn't care. That can lead us to be tempted to turn away from God. Second person said worldly possessions and goals. That's 100% true, isn't it? You start to think not like God, not prioritizing the things that God wants us to prioritize, not loving the things that God loves, but actually loving the things that the world loves, actually having different goals to the goals that God would want us to have. I've got up with three things that I've, I feel the weight of, I reckon are pretty common. Uh, here's three temptations: money and security. Uh, we live in such a wealthy country, don't, don't we, so that it's so easy to say, I am secure, I am loved, I've got it all sorted out because I have money or I have possessions. And actually start putting our confidence in the things that we own, the money that we have. Uh, Rather than seeing them as a a good gift from God, uh, to be used generously towards uh, others, we actually idolise them. We actually put our hope in them, our confidence in them. They actually don't encourage us to love God they encourage us all to, to turn away from God. Second one I've got there is reputation and popularity. Uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while you, you'll soon work out that uh, you've got a choice to make haven't you? You won't always be popular and in fact you may never be popular and uh, you may not have a good reputation because you're a follower of Jesus and people don't like you. Uh, do you like to be liked or do you want to love God? There's a choice there isn't there? Uh, that can cause you to, turn, uh, and want to you know, turn turn from God and want to be popular. Well, the last one is intimacy and relationship. Uh, God's given us that desire to be loved, uh, to have an identity, uh, but it's found in God uh, and lots of godly relationships, and yet our sinful hearts can cause us to turn away to a relationship that's not pleasing to God. Uh, there's that temptation uh, because of uh the desire for a relationship that i'll i 'll actually turn my back on God because I want relationship that a relationship that doesn 't please him now may maybe it 's one of those things you struggle with maybe it 's none of those maybe it 's something else that 's in the forefront of your mind tonight but i want i want to challenge you tonight what is it that you need to sort out even tonight? what is it you need to say? God, this is not right, I need to repent, I need to turn back to you today. Because I want to say from from here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the cost of turning away from God is a massive cost. Have a look at it with me, cost of turning away. Verse 34, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb. And of course, we know also Joshua. So Caleb and Joshua were the two spies that were were um, called to enter the land later. They were the ones confident to take up God's promise, uh, overcome the enemy. Also, the children were allowed to enter. Look down in verse thirty-nine, and the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I'll give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around, set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea, you will not enter it. See, isn't it fascinating? The people of Israel came so close, they even got to taste the fruit from the promised land 40 years earlier. They knew it was good, and yet they fell short. They fell short of the possession of the promised good good land. And there's a real warning here. God wants us to take a warning. But before we get to the warning for us, let me show you one other thing. End of this chapter. Last thing. I've called it Going Your Own Way. Did you notice once the nation of Israel realizes they're going to miss out on the promised land, they're filled with grief? Look down in verse 41. But then watch what they do. Verse 41, we've sinned against the Lord. We'll go up and fight as the Lord our God command us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it it easy to go up to the hill country. But notice what God says. God says, no, don't do that. Verse 42, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. They haven't learnt the lesson Verse 43, see, so I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. See what's happened? They didn't listen to God in the first place um, when God told them not to enter. Then they failed to listen again. They're actually, they've got the grief of knowing they've done the wrong thing, but then they're like, "I'll, I'll take matters into my own hands. It's kind of like a false repentance, isn't it? I'll sort this out, I'll fix it up. But God says, no, don't do it. And what happens? They march into the land. They're smashed. They're actually defeated. They come back down into the desert. They're humiliated. They're scattered. And why is it? It's because they haven't listened to God. They've gone their own way. And God has said, clearly, I won't be with you. They've decided to go their own way. It ends in disaster. And so there's the challenge for us. Here it is, will we take the warning from Deuteronomy chapter 1? Remember at the beginning, I, I spoke to you about them being right on the cusp of the promised land. Forty years earlier, they were also on the, on the cusp of the promised land, poised, ready to enter. And I want to say that's pretty much where we are today. If you're a follower of Jesus, for us as Christians... We're actually standing on the edge of a new promised land, heaven, the new creation. So what's happened? God has saved us. He's rescued us through Jesus. He's rescued us from slavery, slavery not in Egypt, but slavery to sin. He's brought us safely this far. He's given us his spirit. He's washed us clean of our sins. We've actually tasted the first fruits. We know how good it is to... To be loved by God, to be loved by God 's people, to be part of his community, and what is he calling us now to trust him to continue to trust him he's uh, he's done all this for us he will bring us through death, he will bring us through judgment to come safely to the other side. will you trust him as we wait for that new creation and it's it's the message the the wording the The wording is this, make sure you're there on that last day. Make sure you don't turn away. It's in Hebrews chapter 3. So turn over to Hebrews 3 again. That was read out for us. Hebrews 3, so big chunk forward in your Bibles right towards the end. After Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, A few more books. (laughs) Hebrews chapter. After Thessalonians. (laughs) Timothy. Keep going. Titus. Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Listen to verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, who are followers of Jesus, us, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. How awful would that be? So let me put those things up again. Uh, Reputation, sorry, um, money and security, reputation and popularity, intimacy and relationship? Are they the things you're struggling with at the moment? Is it something else? What is it that tempts you to turn from God? Because God is saying, Hebrews 3, today is the day to deal with it. Don't harden your heart, listen to God's voice. Today is the day to deal with sin. Uh, And don't try and deal with it your own way as the Israelites did deal with it God's way. Bring it out in the open, confess it to God, throw yourself on the mercy of God, ask God to forgive you, know that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin and it can restore you. And how awesome is it when you've had that experience, I am forgiven, I am restored, I have the confidence that God loves me because of Jesus. And so, so good to see people keep who turn to God for forgiveness. See, what's the, what's the issue? The, sin is bad. Sin is the thing we have to face in life, but it can be forgiven. It has been dealt with in Christ. What's, what's the biggest danger? It's hardened hearts. That's what Hebrews 3 is saying, isn't it? That over time, you actually don't realise it's sin. Actually, over time you desensitize to sin. Actually, over time, you fall out of the pattern of um, hearing God's voice, hearing God's word, meeting with God's people, and you don't come back to God to ask him to forgive you, and your heart is hardened towards sin. And so Hebrews 3 says, don't harden your heart. Don't miss out on the kingdom to come today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts bring it to him so I'm going to finish by taking some time for us to pray and and I'm going to give you a minute to pray yourself you might want to confess your sins think about things that you need to bring before God do that uh, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer together before we sing again Father God, we thank you tonight for the reminder that you are a God of enormous grace and mercy and power to save. You are the God who keeps his promises. Uh, You are the God who wants good things for your people. Lord, thank you for the example we see of your goodness and power and grace in Deuteronomy. Father, we're humbled and warned as we see the Israelites not trusting you as a good God but turning their backs on you, facing that temptation that that might happen again on the cusp of the promised land. Father, thank you for Jesus who comes to forgive us, to pay the penalty for our sin that defeats death. Father, thank you that as we trust in him, we're on the, the cusp of that promised land again, of the new creation. Help us to keep trusting you, bringing our sins before you, not hardening our hearts, Lord, open our eyes to see temptation for what it is, um, the desires, the temptations that would cause us to turn our back on you. And Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, God.